Mogul Motivation, educating and empowering entrepreneurs one week at a time. Presented by True Stories Media. And I am your host, Antoine Twiz Taylor. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mogul Motivation. I'm happy that you're back again. This podcast is for the aspiring entrepreneur who is trying to get over that hump and make things happen. This podcast is for anybody who wants to succeed in business or whatever you do. This podcast is to let you know that it can be done and it can happen. This week's Monday conversation, I'm happy to have Derek Gaskins with me. He is the owner of Glamour Life as well as Gaskin Productions. He's also the chief customer officer for Rudder's Food Stores. Derek, how are you today? Man, I'm doing very well, so I'm glad to be here. Great, great. So, Derek, can you um, start out and give us a brief background um, of yourself? You know, how did you get to where you are now? Tell us about that. Um, certainly tough to be brief, but I will just say, you know, born and raised in Southeast Washington, D.C. Uh, I was very fortunate to have uh, parents that believed in the power of education and academics and mm-hmm. stressed striving for excellence in everything that we did. So really that as my foundation gave me a leg up because it meant that I was always hungry to learn, to seek out new new knowledge, and even as a young child was teaching. So, you know, I would be in seventh grade and teaching people that were younger than me, sometimes teaching high school age students, mm-hmm. uh, getting them ready for test preparation and uh, things like that. So that foundation helped me get an academic scholarship. I'm a walk-on basketball player, went to University of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I went to Northwestern Business School. Um, I had a passion to learn more about general management, marketing, and invested in myself to go do that. Uh, and that's where I would just say that the entrepreneurial bug really took root back in D.C. And being a person that went out to Iowa, rather than complain about the culture shock, I, I actually did something. So started yeah. a started the the production company there by the name of Fight Sleep, which was really meant to give you a reason to a stay up. Mm-hmm. And the short goal of that was really to bring, call it big city style, entertainment to the college campus. So with the proximity to Chicago, Detroit, Minneapolis, and St. Louis really started to reach out to those regions and bring in artists and DJs and talent and everything from jazz bands to hip hop to even my hometown, Go-Go, and bringing that to the college campus. So that's where I got the bug and started to realize that this was more than a hobby or a side hustle, but that there was something there. And when I graduated from Northwestern, while I was in the Chicago region, that's mm-hmm. where Glamour Life really took off. So okay. was very active in the nightlife scene there, managed a couple of our bands, had the record label and all those kinds of things. Um, this was around 1997, 1998, and then when I went down to Cincinnati to go and be a brand manager with Procter and Gamble, mm-hmm. that's when Glamour Life was really born. Because you know, being on the inside of a big company and running marketing and brand management gave me a leg up to know what brand managers look for when they're trying to build their brands through grassroots marketing. Yeah. So then I could go to other brands, whether it be Coors or. Moet and Shandon or Nike and get sponsorship for some big events around the nation. 
Absolutely. So so basically, you use your leverage from working with a large corporation, you know, like you said, being on the inside of corporate America. You use that knowledge and the skills from there to leverage and leverage that to grow your own business, correct? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, certainly, Twan, I, I think the most important thing for all of us is you have to learn from every experience that you have throughout your life. And if you're lucky to work and be passionate about the work that you do, then you also have to be able to translate or transfer that knowledge to say, how can I build equity and wealth for myself? Yes. Because no one is ever going to pay you what you're worth to help them reach their dreams. Mm -hmm. So the only way that you can get there is to reinvest in your own skill set, whether that's knowledge first and foremost, then the financials come after. Um, I think that that's the blueprint. Absolutely. So as far as uh, like you, you mentioned grassroots marketing and growing a brand, can you give us like a little insight on how other entrepreneurs can do that, particularly not just in a um, entertainment field, but, you know, any business? Because, you know, that's usually the the hardest thing for young entrepreneurs is marketing. How do you get yourself out there? You know, how do you get those sponsorships? You know, what what's I, some tips on that? Yeah, I mean, the first tip is you have to have confidence. You have to have belief in your own vision, your concept, because you're going to hear literally hundreds of no's for every one yes. Yes. And it, it might be very frustrating because those closest to you will often be the ones that are discouraging you the most or the ones that are telling you there's no way that this can happen and no one's going to do this. So I, I think that that's the first thing. Um, you know, passion, that goes without saying. But you have to have that drive because, you know, whether it's getting sponsors, you know, people from the outside tend to think, oh, that's easy. You know, Derek is fortunate. He has cores and all of these brands that he's working with. Mm -hmm. But what they didn't see was, you know, me literally being laughed at or thrown out of boardrooms oftentimes or people saying that's not how we go to market or we're not interested in that or we don't want to go after that segment and that target. So I, I think that never giving up that passion and that uh, courage to hear no and to keep pushing on. It's just, I mean, if there's one skill set, I would say that that is the key one. Mm -hmm. Grassroots marketing, I, I think, is as, as old as time itself. So whether it's the town crier that was screaming out news back in the old days or, you know, kind of passing down the oral history uh, to flyers to now that we're in the digital age, social media, it's all networking. And I mean, you know, when you hear terms like social media, I think that you have to look at that as a very valuable marketing channel because social has always been a part of humanity. Yeah. So we gather around the fire, we we congregate, we share our success, we you know mourn together. So I, I think that networking aspect and socialization is very critical because you just never know who can help. So uh, you know having your the the essence of your pitch distill down so that you can translate that from grandma to somebody that you meet on an elevator that might be able to help you and you can get to the heart of what you're asking. Uh, that's mission critical. And, and, and then I think that, you know, last and certainly not, not least is that media piece, whether it's actual broadcast media or grassroots guerrilla marketing tactics, um, you know, I'm not above it. So, you know, even in my early days, 
people would be shocked that they're like, yeah, some guy gave me a, a flyer. Then they would come to the door and see me at the door. They'd see me backstage with an artist and just saying, man, this dude is doing everything to cleaning up the venue, cleaning up the floor. Yeah. I looked at that as part of the media because I had to have my hands and my fingerprints on everything and every aspect of my brand. So as I was in the you know true corporate world and learning about brand management and what that means, that's really being a CEO of a brand. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, was you know fortunate being fresh out of grad school, being able to go to P and G and run a you know billion dollar brand with nothing more than a couple years of you know B school to help me do that. But having my instincts on, okay, what's my marketing plan? What's my product plan? What's the research plan? And how I'm going to get the financing for this and in my media strategy. So all of those things, when I combined them really helped me get glamour life up and running and follow my entrepreneurial passion absolutely and do you think that marketing is probably the lifeblood of every business regardless how big or small yes i mean that's the one thing that i always tell people um you know i i chose to work in marketing and even with the people who work on my team i always tell them folks will always say they don't know about marketing but that's a lie everyone knows about marketing, has an opinion on marketing, knows what impacts them, what's effective marketing. And whether it's the CFO or CEO or someone, marketing is going to be probably pivotal to any corporation or entrepreneurial effort or brand. And you have to be thick-skinned because I always say, you know, feedback is, is a gift. So yeah. you have to be willing to listen to feedback and accept it, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, because, you know, oftentimes that feedback is what separates great brands from good brands. I mean, you look at a company like Amazon.com, yeah, and they have used feedback to tweak their model and become probably the greatest company in the history of the world thus far, because... You know, they're using feedback from other customers to then influence what you're going to buy. They use feedback on what you already buy, and then they'll recommend, hey, people like you also bought this. Next thing you know, you're buying more products from them. I mean, that's marketing. That's the essence of it. It's all about Mm -hmm. observation, listening, and then figuring out a way to uh, meet the needs that a certain customer or segment has. Got you. And... And, you know, um, so basically it sounds like, you know, as entrepreneurs, we have to really utilize the power of reviews, the power of surveys, you know, because I think a lot of us don't really do those things when we're in our beginning stage. You know, I know for a fact I have it. You know, I just really got to that point about two years ago where I started to understand the power of those things. But correct me if I'm wrong. That's what it sounds like you're saying we have to do. We have to really observe what our customer wants from us. You know, first of all, who who are our customer and what do they want from us? How do they feel about our product or our service? You know what I mean? I mean, seriously, I mean that that is missing critical and I think that's why a lot of businesses fail. Um, they lose sight of who the customer is and what those needs are. And yes, there's parables around Henry Ford saying things like, if I would have listened to what the customers wanted, then I would have, you know, I, I would have been focused on faster horses. But mm-hmm. that but that misses the point. The point is that sometimes the customer may not be able to articulate what they want, but they can give you as a business person 
insights into here's some unmet needs. And that's how you get to a, a, a car of, you know, those kinds of thoughts. Or it's like Steve Jobs even with the iPhone. I mean, in those early days, everyone said the iPhone was going to be an epic failure. You know, who wants a phone that you can go on the Internet with? Now you, everybody you know, has one. Look at email. And now it seems natural and logical. But, I mean, literally, if you go back 10 years when the iPhone launched, you can read from the New York Times to Washington Post to tech writers to Bill Gates. These folks were literally laughing at this dude. And a lot of the renders that they showed were limited to what they thought. So they were thinking, oh, it's a BlackBerry and how's it going to dial and how are you going to have buttons and do music and do all of these things. Never once did they think that, you know, this guy's working on a touchscreen interface that's now changed the world, that it's normal to us now. We go to an ATM, we're at the airport, we're ordering food. These touchscreens are now yeah. omnipresent. And I think that as an entrepreneur, that's the challenge. It's saying once you distill down your business to the problem that it solves for someone or some segment, then you size up what that market is. To your point, I think you have to then start doing surveys and listening and get feedback as you go. So that way you don't miss the market. And start doing things like BlackBerry did, where they dug in their trenches and said, "No, no, no, no. People want buttons. You know, mm-hmm. I think you're wrong. This, you know, there's no way you can do a touchscreen. Who wants to watch TV on a little, you know, five, yeah. six inch screen?" And now, ten years later, BlackBerry went from having over a ninety percent market share to having a less than a one percent market share. Wow, I that's, mean, that's the world of flipping you that fast. Yeah, that's crazy. And you know, I can't even imagine a phone with buttons right now. You know what I'm saying? Like that would <laughs> that would annoy me so much right now. Um so so I see that you also have a a, a lot of experience and background in the retail industry. Um specifically uh convenience stores, things like that. What did you learn from that business? The brick and mortar, you know, the uh retail side of things. What did you learn from that and how do you leverage that um into your entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, the most important thing I would say there is retail is, again, going back to one of the oldest professions. People have bartered and exchanged services. It's a viable channel. It will always be there, whether it's digital like Amazon or it's brick and mortars with uh, stores. That's always been there. One of the key things that I, I learned that was illuminating, frankly, is how many entrepreneurs and self-made people became wealthy seemingly overnight by doing things that aren't quote-unquote sexy. So I I can talk about my production company, but truthfully, you know, running a convenience store and selling, you know, small transactions to huge volumes of customers, uh, I've, I've seen more wealth and had more exposure to the highest level of the, you know, world, frankly, than I would have otherwise known. And a lot of these are family-owned and operated businesses. Mm-hmm. person may have started with one store, grew it to two, three. Next thing you know, they have a chain. And then the next thing you know, they have a multi-billion dollar company. So I, I, I would say some of the key things that, that I learned was, you know, first and foremost is work ethic. That nothing replaces willingness to roll up the sleeves and work. And in a retail atmosphere, especially when you own your company, you own your stores, you will do everything. It's kind of like I was saying, even what 
glamour life where I'm picking up cups and cleaning tables and yeah. working the door and doing all those things. Retail is the same way. The CEO is not just sitting in an office, you know, comfortable. Or me as the CMO, I'm not just sitting here, you know, barking out orders to my marketing team. I might be in the store on my hands and knees, pricing product to put on the shelves. Mm. Yeah. And I think um, work ethic is something that a lot of people, especially in my generation, unfortunately, don't value anymore. Because, you know, like you said earlier, the social media era, you know, um, we want to do things sexy. You know, we want the we want the quick million. You know, we don't want to work for the million. You know, uh, we don't want to get on the floor scrub and, you know, mop floors, clean baseboards, you know, like you said, sell small uh, price products to a large volume of customers. We don't want to do that. And I think ultimately that's what separates those who will succeed versus those who won't succeed is really the work ethic. Are you going to do the work, you know, or are you just going to sit back and hope and pray that something is just going to fall into your lap? Exactly. I mean, granted, people can get lucky. People can take short circuits. But, you know, by and large, and I don't care what discipline this is, whether it's academics, athletics, it's business, it life in general, typically work ethic is what's going to differentiate and then separate. And, you know, people can have more talent, but like the saying goes, you know, hard work out- outperforms talent that doesn't work hard. I mean, it's literally that simple because, whether it's retail, I mean, that's one of the things that everyone just, you know, doesn't really think about. And there are careers to be gained there, but those folks who are owning, whether it's Sam Walton and Walmart or, you know, other brands like a Wawa or like a Sheets that started with one store, two stores, and then Blossom, uh, that discipline of work ethic and, you know, being almost obsessed with meeting the customer's needs or what uh, you know really transformed those brands and those companies and made them billion-dollar businesses. Gotcha. So my last question for you real quick, what form of advice or inspiration would you give to the black entrepreneurs out there or any entrepreneur that wants to build wealth and become rich and successful? I, I would give the most important thing is know more about the industry, the consumer, your products, or where you want to focus than anyone else in the world. So whether that's work ethic or just knowledge base, um, you know, having that knowledge and that passion are the first key steps. I, I think then beyond that is start with the customer and make everything that you do fulfill a, a need. Um, the hardest question that entrepreneurs have to answer and this is the last thing that, that I'll leave you with is, you know, what problem am I trying to solve? So whether it's your product, your service, your business, if you can address in a very succinct, concise answer, here's the problem that I'm solving through my business, then I think you're on your way to being, you know, rich and not just rich from a financial, but rich from fulfilling your life's purpose. There you have it. Fulfill your life's purpose. Thank you very much, Derek, for joining us on the Monday Conversation this week. You have a great day. Thanks for having me, my brother, and you do the same. All right, and everybody out there, let's continue to work, let's continue to imagine reality, and let's make it happen. Till next week.